Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 280th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's dragging dragons and done with dungeons, but still happy to help you venture forth to find a little treasure. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what's on the agenda this week? Well, James, uh, welcome back, and let's hop right in here. Segment one, our MTGO metagame week in review. We've got two modern challenges to dig into. Segment two, our top paper movers. No shortage of uh, cards to discuss this week. Segment three, our cards to watch with a handful of cards here that James and I think will do pretty well over time. And we're going to wrap up with the topic of the week. We will run through the last of the D&D set uh, that Cliff and I didn't get a chance to catch earlier. So let's start out here. Segment one, our... MTGO metagame week in review, we have a challenge from the 11th and the 10th. And Hammer Time, a big note here in the challenge from 11th, taking first, third, fourth, and eighth. So definitely relevant there. Um, and even a third slot, third place slot in the other challenge. So clearly a, um, I think it's fair to say, a tier one deck at the moment in the format. Urza Saga, very much turbocharging Hammer Time, um, giving them access to go pull hammers out of the deck. Um, if they can't find one off the top or the first one gets dealt with. Also very worth noting that Esper Sentinel shows up as a four of in all, mm, yeah, all five appearances in the top eight this weekend. Uh, so that card being top of the heap over on EDH Rec from MH2 in terms of EDH playability from that set. Also looking pretty good, at least in Hammer Time for Modern. And if it's playable there, it might be playable elsewhere, elsewhere later. So uh, feeling pretty good about picking some of those up. Having gotten in on Esper Sentinel would look pretty good at this point. I don't know how much is left on the bone now. Maybe, maybe not. Um, the real bummer is the only premium version is that sketch copy, and uh, nobody's eager to play those. Entirely possible that that could in, incent Wizards to put it in a secret layer or something within 18 months, uh, give it a really cool treatment. But I guess we'll see. Lots of other options down that road. Velamachus turns in second place. That's the one that puts the Harry Potter dragon, one of them, into play and just casts a bunch of time warps in a row. Um, uh, fun, fun deck. Doesn't look like the type of thing you would expect to see being competitive in modern, at least not in the year of our Lord 2021. But uh, certainly not the first time we've seen it. So the deck has some real legs. Urza Thopter Sword in fifth with uh, four Urza, four port portable hole being yet another uh, white 
kill spell uh, point removal printed in 2021 that seems to be disrupting Path to Exile. Of course, we had Prismatic ending in MH2, and now we see Portable Hole seeing play immediately in a top eight in first week of release. Four were of invention as well in that deck. We've seen versions of this back down the road, but uh, Thopter Sword um, poking its head back up again. Yeah, it's been quite a while, I feel like, since we've talked about this. Um, interesting to see it come back, and it even looks like a... F- you know, the portable hole is a new addition, but uh looks like a relatively familiar list to when I remember trying this, people trying this after Modern Horizons 1 when Urza came out. Um I wonder if it will get to uh, hang around the format both from here on out and if Urza Saga happens to go, if it will continue to hold um position then. Sixth place in this challenge on the 11th, uh, Blue-Red Murktide. This is uh, the evolution of Blue-Red Prowess. Now shifting gears to make use of Murktide Regent out of Modern Horizons 2, as well as four Dragon, Dragon's Rage Channeler and four Ragavan. Uh, lots of Modern Horizons 2 cards uh, putting up big results early on. Scapeshift in seventh uh, here with four Primeval Titan, three Dryad of the Elysian Grove, and three Scapeshift. And then looking over at the Modern Challenge from July 10th, we have Teamer Footfalls in first, a deck that has uh, posted results, not not as much as the Blue Red Prowess deck has, but certainly has been pushing to be considered for Tier 1 status, if not Tier 1.5. Of course, they run four Crashing Footfalls, four Shardless Asian, four Subtlety, and four Force of Negation as relevant specs. Uh, another Blue Red Murktide in second, uh, and then a Blue Red Prowess in fifth, uh, which is the earlier version. Hammer Time, as you said, was in third, and then we had Black Red Ragavan in fourth with four Dothy Voidwalker, four Ragavan, four Dragon, Dragon's Rage Channeler, two Crocs, and four Thoughtseize. Living End in sixth. I think this is a updated iteration since uh, I was looking at these lists a couple weeks ago. Four Grief and four Subtlety now in the list. And then Blue Black Mill re- rearing its head in top eights yet again, this time with an additional update. Um, it's funny because last fall we were arguing over whether Maddening Cacophony or Glimpse the Unthinkable might be the car- go-to card in Blue Black Mill list and Modern, and now, less than 12 months later, both of those cards are on the sidelines as four Tasha's Hideous Laughter takes center stage alongside four Archive Trap and four Fractured Sanity. It is, um, it is funny that Blue Black Mill went so long without any meaningful additions and then and it feels like in the span of three years have gotten three or four maybe even more cards to pick from um definitely different from where it was in the past and uh you know back at that team of footfalls deck in first place it kind of disappeared a little bit for several weeks there i don't remember cliff or i were even really talking about it when you were gone um it was real hot like the first two weeks and then it was gone the next two and now here it's back uh but i guess that's just a, a metagame yep uh, still struggling against this very strong field to uh, keep its neck above water, I suppose. Another black-red Ragavan list in eighth, very similar to the one that was in fourth. Uh, minor difference that they have two Turok. I guess it's also worth flagging that another D&D card made it into all these lists. Ingenious Smith has posted up in all of the Hammer Time lists here. Yeah, yeah, that has uh, has had a good run too. Overall, the format looks pretty solid, um, especially compared over the last couple weeks in different events. Um you know, while Hammer Time might have had a pretty good showing this week, the other week it was blue-red, and then um, other weeks it's been the Teamer Footfall. So clearly a, a good churn going on here as people try and figure out what's the best positioned. Overall, with the influence of both Modern Horizons 1 and Modern Horizons 2, plus all the broken cards that were dropped into standard over the last two years, uh, card quality very, very, very high in Modern right now. 
Oh, yeah, uh, well, custom design sets for modern will do that. All right, moving right along to segment two, top paper movers of the week. We start off with the Lord of Atlantis JSS MSS promos, moving from about 45 to 70 or so on the back of modern merfolk play. Um, definitely not a tier one or 1.5 deck in modern, but might be a, a tier two deck. I am following a couple different streamers who seem to be uh, getting solid results with it week in and week out. Um, they do have the ability to challenge Urza's Saga in particular with their eight spreading seas effects. That is certainly a useful feature for that deck that uh, is one of those abilities that waxes and wanes based on what the rest of the format is doing. Also worth noting that this is the JSS promo, but it's one of the few JSS promos that doesn't use the Starburst foiling, which means it's actually good uh, that Starburst foiling is typically relatively unpopular. Primal Beyond out of Morning Tide has been showing up in some uh, Elementals decks in Modern, although we, off-camera we had looked at uh, five-color Elementals lists that were top-aiding recently. They don't seem to run it. Uh, still, the card has gone from 10 to 16 recently, 60% gains. Shattering Spree out of Guilds of Ravnica. Uh, I think that's the Guild Kits version going from 15 to 30. I believe the regular... Uh, edition is closer to 20 but this doesn't have a lot of printings it's basically only been printed in two ancillary products the mystery boosters and guilds of Africa guild kits alongside the original printing which i think is 20 years ago now close to it um well there yeah there are the three printings but there are three extremely low supply printings so uh you know it, it's been useful as a sideboard card um so far and it plays well with magecraft too which we haven't really seen too much of in modern but if anyone finds a way to play magecraft creatures uh shattering spree stock is only going to go up and i wonder if that primal beyond is just on the back of cliff and i having spent five minutes talking about it last week um in relation to a elemental deck that was missing it and trying to figure out why so maybe people listen to it and went huh maybe this they're maybe they're all supposed to be playing this card and i should get in on this early Treasure Vault out of Adventures in the Forgotten Realms has gone from 9 to 18 in pre-order. I think that's real early goings. The, as per usual, pre-order prices are too high. The card is going to be good in EDH for a long time and probably have uh, an expanding circle of synergies um, as Wizards continues to print uh, relevant uh, treasure-generating cards. But I'd be looking to get in on this in the 6 to $8 range, I think, at max. Yeah, I don't... I, I, Treasure Vault... I have not connected with in the same way that others have. Um, there's some cute tricks with it, but I, I remain unconvinced, although I respect that it's an untapped artifact land with upsides. So I could see this being useful, but boy, at $18 a piece, I'm sure I'm willing to be on the underside. Necrotic Ooze from Scars of Mirrodin going 350 to 7, uh, likely on the back of Asmodeus the Archfiend. As, as we've discussed in the past, uh, these two cards are cute together in EDH, but I don't think a lot of people are going to run Asmodeus as their, uh, as their general. So you're going you're gonna to need additional synergies to make it worth caring about either. Yeah, it's right now it's going to play that commander. So then if you have an Necrotic Ooze deck, who's also not a commander, maybe you put Asmodeus in it to make your Ooze better, but you're still playing commander and it's just one of the creatures in the 99. Um, so it doesn't really work all that well. And I, looking at Necrotic Ooze, it does make me wonder if it's giving PTSD for all the people who've been in and out of this card six times over the years. Yeah. Opalescence at Urza's Destiny, 35 to 80 plus. It's a reserve list card. It's also... There's a whole bunch of fresh enchantment pieces for EDH. Um, Arcbound Reclaimer at a Dark Steel, two to six or so, probably in the back of Zabaz. 
Mayoral Commerce at Alorwin foils from 9 to 25. Civilin of the Sea and Sky, most likely driving that. And then Notion Thief at a Masters 25, 2 to 6, probably because Hull Breacher got banned this week and people are looking for a replacement. Yeah, which is odd because if you've read both of those cards, you they're they're definitely not the same card. <laughs> uh, and you know there was the, the, the Xanathar is also a commander, but that doesn't seem to have any synergy there. So that's all we've really got to go on is a hall breacher thing. But uh, I, I think people are switching. I mean, Notion Thief's a fun card, but it's not the same thing. Alpine Moon at a corset twenty nineteen foils from seven to twenty five, seeing a variety. Uh, play in a variety of decks where people need the effect to shut down land shenanigans. Uh, Urza Saga, Saga, of course, is out there uh, doing lots of work. Oval Chase Daredevil is a card out of the food decks uh, in modern, and haven't seen a lot of it in the top eights the last last little while. But I don't I don't think we can count it out quite yet. Double Masters copies, just non foils from fifty cents to two bucks, kind of thing. It's going to be hard to make money off of, but you might get an opportunity to buy list them if the deck stays hot. Yeah, that's your best bet if you manage to crack a bunch of DXM. Maybe you and your friends, you might have a stack of these, and you can send it in for 30 or 40 bucks of store credit if you're lucky. Uh, I know that the food decks popped up once or twice in the last two weeks. So, I mean, given the way that we, the, the format seems to have some churn in it, um, even if it's not in the top eight of these two challenges, it's still probably flowing around out there. Worst Fears is a single printing mythic out of Journey into Nyx. Went from, foils went from 12 to 55. Probably on the back of Xanathar Guild Kingpin, looking like one of the early uh, early winners in terms of commanders from the D&D set. Um, Xanathar steals uh, opponents' uh, turns-ish. So people are probably thinking Worst Fears fits in the deck thematically. Um, I mean, it's got no other printings, but I don't. I, I wouldn't want to hold, be holding a very deep pile of these. No, no. I mean, if I had any at this point, I would just be trying to get out of them as fast as I could, because uh, I just don't see there being a sustained demand for this card if there wasn't already one. Lord of the Unreal at a Magic twenty twelve foils three fifty to say I don't know thirty dollars. Hard to say since there's hardly any copies posted. Probably on the back of Min Wiley Illusionist, looking like a, an illusions focused commander. You were saying you thought this was a, a little more interesting than your average tribal. EDH general? Yeah, a lot of tribal commanders tend to be pretty straightforward. They make your guys a little bit bigger, you attack harder, they're unblockable, whatever, right? Like pretty basic red zone type stuff. Um, maybe they cheat some creature types in the player, they go tutor them. But mid is kind of cool because um, it lets you play spells for free from your hand, which is it's just fun, right? Like people like to cascade, people just like that effect. It, it, it When you read that on the card, it gives you room to dream about what it can pull off, even if it ends up not being that phenomenal. So uh, it's a nifty monocolor tribal commander with a tribe that hasn't really had the support before. We haven't really seen a lot out of the illusions. So suddenly all these cards that are illusion-based or related to illusions are going to get some appeal. Um, and people can build some fun, wacky versions of Min uh, in a way that they couldn't, you know, with like the cat commanders and all that type of stuff. Moving on to top Magic Online movers of the week. We got Demolich from the D&D set, 13 to 30 tickets. People are testing it multi-format. Uh, haven't seen any super exciting lists that I am confident in for the long term, but I would imagine it's going to be pretty good in standard at least. Um, and the question then becomes whether Pioneer and Modern uh, also give it uh, wings. I would expect it ends up being a pretty good short here because I think that's too high. Um I had to. I spent last week or the week prior trying to convince Cliff that Demi Lick was good. He did not agree with me. We will see how how it works out. 
Dranith Magistrate out of Ikoria, 30 cents or so to a dollar, 1.2 ticks. Uh, heavy standard play on that one, up 300%. Tasha's Hideous Laughter, uh, 2 to 19. That looks also looks like a juicy short target on Magic Online because Blue Black Mill might be the flavor of the day or the week, but it's doesn't seem like the kind of deck that is going to take over the meta, uh, even when it's a, a solid contender of tier 1.5. No, no, that's that deck is never going to be a a, a a pillar, as they say. It's like living in. It's an acquired taste. Portable hole out of uh, Adventures of the Forgotten Realms from 0. 0.05 ticks to 0. 0.5, almost a thousand percent gains. Pretty hard to make money on that kind of thing uh, unless you've been heavily drafting. But uh, and even then, you've got change for to go get a Starbucks, I suppose. Ingenious yeah. Smith, uh, aforementioned, going from 0. 0.01 ticks to 0. 0.32 in the Hammer Time decks. Big, big gains, but again, hard to capitalize. Might, might buy a cup of coffee if you're lucky for all the copies you had. All right, moving along to cards to watch this week. I've got some spicy ones built up, uh, given that I was able to get up into the rarefied air uh, in the mountains above Vancouver and, and spend time meditating for hours on end to bring you guys these deadly, deadly speculation bullets. Start with Silent Clearing, Foils, out of Modern Horizons 1, confidence level of 9 on a 6-12 to month time horizon. You want to target these in Europe, where they are about 10 bucks cheaper than the $40 price tag they currently command in North America. Pick them up at $30, look to exit around $60 for potential 100% gains minus fees. It's often a 2-4 to copy inclusion in the clearly Tier 1 Hammer Time decks in Modern right now. As long as that deck stays prevalent in the format, these are probably going to move pretty well. And it's also in 12,000 EDH rec decks, which is 9% of all black-white decks in the format. Should probably be higher, really. And uh, between the two of those, I think I'm pretty confident here, given that it's got no no room for a reprint for the rest of the year, so far as we know as well. Yeah, and Wizards has shown a real reluctance to reprint any of the land cycles beyond the fetches, which is kind of funny because people complain that they don't reprint the fetches, but they are easily the most reprinted fetch land cycle outside of the basic lands. Um but yeah, you know, what was it? Uh, Horizon Canopy went a very long time without any additional reprints. So we might see the same thing here with Silent Clearing. And these are all pretty useful cards. It's been about two years since Modern Horizons 1. Certainly setting up for a good gain on these. And if you're already getting them in Europe, 10 bucks cheaper than they are in America, that uh, seems like a no-brainer. Your first selection? Well, I'm going to start over uh, on the Modern Horizon the Modern Horizon 1 reprints in Modern Horizon 2. There are two of them that caught my attention this week. And it's important to recall here that the retro frames of the new Modern Horizons 2 cards are in all product, but the retro frames of the Modern Horizon 1 cards are only in the collector boosters. So that means the MH1 reprints are much rarer than the other retro frames from the same set, um, even though it, you know, it might not appear so at first glance. So what I'm starting with this week is Talisman of Creativity. This is the blue-red Talisman. Uh, it is in just under 40,000 EDH rec decks since having been printed only two years ago because I'm fairly confident that Modern Horizons was the first printing of the Talisman cycle. Yep. Um, it is one of the most popular two-color artifacts. I mean, it's basically beaten by the four signets, and then that's it. Like, those are the only two-color cards that have more decks. Um 
supply right now you can get foils about three bucks supply is pretty deep i think there's something like 120 vendors out there with copies right now so it's not like there's uh you know we're gonna see a turnaround on this tomorrow or anything but i think this is three dollar foils is so low it's gonna be easy to toss these in your car every time you're every time you go to buy a card just see if they have any in stock and if they do throw some of these in um and i think you know down the road probably more than 12 months, you could be looking at 10, 15, maybe even 20 bucks for these, you know, at 10 bucks, you get a triple up at more, it's even better. Uh, so I, I, I have a feeling that given the trends we've seen on like, is it signets and stuff like that, that these will, uh, these will do pretty well in a longer time frame. Yeah, I think this is a no brainer. We've already been talking about it in the discord in terms of, you know, what price do people want to go in on these at and i've already dipped my finger my toes in the water at around four dollars so if we can get them at three or 350 even better um as you said there was lots of collector boosters from mh2 opened up front but i don't see a tremendous amount of walls left here on these um, which lets me leads me to believe that some other people have uh have started stocking up as well and again huge stats in edh and the most beautiful version of the card so looking pretty good What's, uh, I see you've got a familiar name here next. Yeah, Misty Rainforest, Old Border Foils from MH2 uh, are a similar story. 12 to 18 months on these, maybe, depending on how many more CBs show up, get opened. I know Europe's getting some more CBs shortly. Doesn't seem like it's a reprint so much as Wizards filling in the gap on short shrifting them on the initial waves. But we'll have to see, you know, whether these you know if mh2 cbs are still readily available at christmas then it pushes things out if they start to dry up sooner then you know all the better that said i'm i already dipped my toe in on scalding tarn obfs between 100 110 so i'm certainly fine picking up misty rainforest today at 85 looking to get out around 140 in under two years for something like 65 percent non-annualized uh, it's an it's an S tier multi format staple, arguably the most desirable version. It's not a question of if, it's when. Oh yeah, yeah. We, we've been, you know, you and I, and I'm sure, pretty sure the rest of the Discord have been keeping a very close eye on Scalding Tarn and Misty Rainforest and the other retro foils uh, here. Just, I mean, for the obvious reasons, as you outlined, uh, you know, there might be a slightly lower floor, maybe by a couple percentage points, but it's hard to imagine them sneaking much cheaper. And if you're buying at 80, 85, that's totally fine. You know, we're not going to see this. At, I, I would be shocked if these were 60 or 65, right? Like the floor has got to be within five, maybe $10 most. And you're not looking to sell these in three months anyways. You're going to you're gonna stash these away as low as you can get them. Uh, and it's just going to be a game of chicken to see how long you can wait before you're willing to sell them. But I have a feeling if you're paying $85 for these, uh, you are not going to be upset. Shades of $100 Masterpiece Soul Rings is the way I see it. Yeah, that's what I have to tell myself when I'm putting multiple of these in my card at once. Um, the other card that I was looking at from the, uh, the the reprint, the Modern Horizons 2 retro reprint of Modern Horizons 1. My God, that is a mess. Is uh, we, we, I've talked about this a couple times that I'm making an official this week, Giver of Ruins. Um, you can get these, the OBFs here of Giver of Ruins for $8.50. Like That just seems so cheap for this card. It's in almost 10,000 decks in EDA tracks, so it's pretty popular there. Um, and I don't think that it's going to get left in the dust anytime soon. It's the 28th most played creature in modern. So that's pretty solid chops. Uh, I'm sure it shows up in legacy too, as much as that matters. I, I really like 
grabbing these at such a cheap price for a very good version um, who's definitely going to have a long lifespan in the two biggest formats right now. And more so, it's even if they print an additional premium version of this somewhere down the road, old border foils are still going to carry a demand with the players you know, like me who are going to value that style the highest. So it's not really going to get dethroned or entirely replaced either. Um, $8.50 is just so cheap for these. The Misty Rainforest have 81 listings, and these have pretty similar at present at 84. Um, but I would expect that the MH1 CB exclusives will start to fall uh, inventory will start to fall sooner based on uh, your earlier note. So they, they may seem... People do this all the time. A card like this that's so obviously a win seems plentiful during peak supply and it turns them off picking some up. And they say, oh, I'll buy them later. And then they forget to buy them later. <laughs> and they might have missed a low at 7 or something or even 650. But then later it's 15, 20, 25, 30. And it, it ends up that it doesn't matter whether you got in at anywhere between 6 and 9 as long as you got in. So, I mean, you can play the game of chicken with price and supply and, you know, wait till end of summer or early fall or hope that these things are still lying around at these prices near Christmas. But personally, I'm, I'm willing to dollar cost average along the way on some of this obvious stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's nice, especially because it's easy to forget. And then they're 13 and you feel bad that you didn't buy them at eight or nine and you missed the boat entirely. Final pick of the week for me, the Ozolith uh, out of Ikoria. I'm talking about just foils here. So pack foils. Don't make a pick like that very often. Six to 12 months on these. You can get them in the US or Europe about the same price, which is about 15 right now. I think you could have got them as low as five. I'm pretty sure I picked up copies in Japan more like 350 last summer. Um, but even 15 seems reasonable because I think this is going to be a $35 card given enough time. It's in 14,000 decks EDH rec and it's a modern affinity card. Um, also plays into casual uh, interest because it works in all sorts of counter decks. Um, I've sold foil Japanese versions, extended art uh, foil Japanese versions for 50 this week, multiple times that I picked up for 20 last week. And in reviewing the non-foils, foils, extended arts, and foil extended arts, they're all going to make money. Um, so, yeah, the Ozolith. This is a cool card. Um, that's going to have a long-term appeal to a lot of players, especially in EDH, and you get that bonus competitive aspect uh, as well. Um, so these are these are these are cool to own, and it seems like a weird card that they're probably not going to be in a rush to reprint. So uh, you know, people are are there and they're buying these, and the price is moving. Then I, I'm along for the ride. All right, your final pick. Uh, also a pack foil, surprisingly enough, and it was unplanned, but, uh, Sigarda's Aid has been all over modern in these hammer time decks, which are clearly, um, tier one. I can't guarantee you that will last forever. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Urza Saga. Um, but even without it, I think it's still probably a very solid deck. It's also good in EDH at 12,000 decks. Uh, they keep printing equipment themes into EDH. There's some popularity there. Uh, so, you know, we've got both modern demand and EDH, a solid EDH plan for this card as well. There's no good version of Sigarda's Aid. Like, if the pack foils it, there's no premium versions. And I, I don't know when we're going to see a premium version of this either. I mean, even if they do some sort of like Innistrad Remastered or whatever the show, you know, some reprint 
some style of reprints in the upcoming Innistrad sets. Like there's no guarantee Sigarda's eight is going to be in there. Um, so I, I just don't see likelihood of this showing up again anytime soon. There's only 24 vendors with copies of Sigarda's foil Sigarda's aid right now on the pack foils. Uh, but you only get past about 12 and um, the ramp jumps to 20 bucks. So, I mean, if you buy in at 12 to $13 right now, there's not a lot of copies standing between you and a 20, $22 price tag. That's not even the full inventory. So I think you could buy these stash them and, and check back in about six months from now. There's also been a lot of relevant equipment cards in Boros colors over the last year. So there's lots of thematic elements in EDH that want to be playing with Cigar Aid. I would say the biggest threat here is that this is a reasonably likely target for an Innistrad-themed secret layer this fall, giving it, given that they're giving us back-to-back Innistrad sets, and this is from an Innistrad set, um, and doesn't have a premium treatment. So, I'd, But I, I suspect there's a window to get in and out on this before any of that happens, and it's by no means a lock for it to occur. Um, overall, very solid pick. Um, our member selection this week is from Dr. Yo-Yo. He calls out a card I've talked about already in the ProTrader Discord a couple different times, and other people have had conversations about it as well. Fabled Passage, Old Border Foil, is a promo available through the WPN network, although we're pretty sure it's U.S. limited um, because there's no copies currently listed in Europe, um, and that just makes this better and better. Um, any card that cannot be arbitraged from overseas to to restock us vendors is going to have a higher dose of accelerant and you can currently get these eight dollars i think calling this to go eight to 20 say 12 plus months from now given that it's in sixty-six thousand decks on edh rack the highest of any card we're talking about in this segment seems very reasonable indeed it really is uh looks quite tasty i mean those edh rack numbers are are wild um for sure. On top of that, it looks like the distribution in America started about two or three weeks ago. Uh, we don't know exactly when that supply is going to dry up. Um, you know, maybe people go on the FNM this week are still getting them. Maybe they're not. I don't know. And it's not just FNM. You have to spend like 50 bucks at the store. So there's probably a fair number of copies on the American market. But as you said, it, there's, it doesn't look like they're being released internationally at all, which certainly helps a lot because you're, you're not going to get any extra copies flowing into America, um, which on an EDH card, I mean, most of them, you know, you pro- the, the international communities might soak up some of them, but a lot of them would co- might come back here for the EDH players. But without that additional supply, like what gets handed out is what gets handed out. So I think your best bet with this is to basically you know, keep an eye on it and wait for the week where you find out stores are not giving away anymore. Like wait, wait for that turning point. I don't know if it's this week. I don't know if it's three weeks from now, but once that time comes, that's it. That's peak supply right there. The last week that, that there's really any left. And once we get past that, this is just going to go up and up and up because they're slowly going to find their way into the hands of people like me who would like a copy or two, but aren't going to their local store to buy sealed product, but we're going to need it eventually. Yep. Fair enough. All right. So we're going to move on to our adventures in the forgotten realm set review. We would normally do this with, uh, Commander-in-Chief Jason Alt, but we had some scheduling conflicts and a little bit of lost audio. So we do have some pretty good notes uh, stored upstairs for uh, Jason's thoughts on some of these cards, and we're just going to plow on through this. Overall, I think you and I both agree, somewhat of an underwhelming set. 
Yeah, everyone seems to be on that same page. And and this is not my idea, but it is an idea I'm going to repeat that overall, uh, it seems like people are relatively pleased with the fact that they picked this set to depower standard. Um, because if this had been a core set at this power level, it would have been panned as one of the worst sets in Magic. But it gets to exist and be appealing on a different axis uh, while still bringing some sanity back to standard. So that's really great. It does mean that the set probably has a little bit less lasting appeal, um, at least from players who like good cards. Which and, you know, and you pair that with the, uh, I'm hesitant to even say polarizing. I'm just going to say disappointing showcase frames uh, for the most part, or at least uh, showcase frames that are not going to have really universal appeal. And it does feel a little bit like a wet blanket. I do wonder whether the D&D players will want this as a collectible counterbalances any lower than average power level. Like I, I put the set pretty close to Cal time overall, and I also suspect there are still a, a, an ample helping of great EDH cards here, and there are probably a bunch of cards that are going to get activated for both EDH and constructed purposes down the road when they get more tools to play with. Um, we'll jump right on in here um, with one of the mythics that's on my brick list, Old Gnawbone. And second most played card so far on the early in the early uh, days on EDH Rec, 10% of uh, decks, green decks reporting, playing it. I don't think it's going to hold 10% over time, but it might be, a, you know, could be a 5% thing. This is a flying 7-7 seven, seven for 7. Not that exciting, but it is a dragon, and it has a very powerful ability. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, create that many treasure tokens. That's got enough Timmy, Johnny appeal. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to do some work in the format. And, and the foils of the old border are probably going to be worth some good coin down the road. Yeah, this is a very potent card. And being able to just drop this on like turn six or something and chip in for... You know, six or seven damage spread out across a couple players. I mean, if you hit three three opponents with a two-two, the turn after you play this, you got almost the entire mana cost back on Old Mawbone instantly. Um, I mean, it's not hard to repay this guy the turn you play him, and future turns are going to be wild. I mean, if you've got an opponent who's on a life gain deck, I mean, like <laughs> he might just like not block creatures because they their his life total might be so high, or is the 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 options are endless here. So I think you know your approach for old knob is you're going to be trying to get piles of the simplest copy dirt cheap, uh, probably overseas or uh, going after the most premium version. Those two are the, the directions to go here, but I do think the card is, is pretty legit. And the the extended art artwork is, is, I think, better than the pack copy for what it's worth. Circle of Dreams Druid, definitely on my brick list. Uh, triple green for a 2-1 elf druid. Those are both very relevant creature types in, in the color. And it taps for green equal to the creatures you control, which basically means it is Gaia's Cradle on a stick. Uh, cards, no joke. <laughs> it's going to make people money. The only question is how cheap can it get, given that U.S. vendors are currently asking between 15 and 20 for it. Yeah, I think this might have gone up since I looked at it yesterday. Um, that, an, an extremely potent card. I think, this, think the most expensive rare, without looking it up, probably. Um this card is very good, and I I, ha I hazard to say the uh, well the the downside is 
the floor is lower than Gaia's Cradle because the opportunity cost is higher. Gaia's Cradle is just so easy. The ceiling is potentially higher because it's easier to untap creatures. It's easier to abuse creatures in a land. For a lot of decks, you add in Kiora's Follower, Quarian Ranger, things of that nature, and suddenly this gets pretty nutty. So in an, if it's in an elf deck, it's just another Elvish Archdruid, but they will gladly play it. And all those elves still maintain reasonable prices despite having 40 printings. So a single printed card like this might do quite a bit of work uh, just to elf decks alone, but the fact that it's useful in other decks as well. This is, uh, I am real interested in this card. Solid treasure themes in the set. Uh, two other brickable cards, I think, include Treasure Vault and Zorn. Zorn's a 3-2 elemental for two and a red. If you would create one or more treasure tokens, uh, you get those that many treasure tokens plus one. That's got lots of upside in the future and has good synergies with some existing cards that are seeing heavy play in the format. Like, for instance, if you've got Zorn as Smothering Tithe, you're getting two treasure tokens at a Smothering Tithe. So that's kind of like your floor. Um, Treasure Vault, likewise, is uh, cool that it makes treasure tokens in the mid to late game, but it's also cool that it's an artifact land that comes into play untapped and taps without penalty. So it's got legs probably in Affinity, in Modern, and artifact-themed decks in EDH will find reason to run it for ages. Seems slightly better. I mean, it seems fine-ish in EDH. I mean, most decks are not going to want to turn all of their mana into half as many treasure tokens for no particular reason. Um, you definitely have to be in a deck that's duplicating those treasure tokens somehow or just playing what is a Revel and Riches, which wins you the game. Um, so I, I, I'm i still a little cool on Treasure Vault, especially for the $18 price tag. Zorn is really cool, and that's another one that feels like something you want to chase very cheap copies of because lots of players will want one or two copies to put into whatever deck they have that has the most treasures in it. I'd be looking for Zorn at bulk prices and Treasure Vault under 5 bucks. Zorn and Bulk, yeah. Treasure Vault, I don't know. I'm not even really interested in buying that at the moment. Like the price at which I would want to buy it, it's not going to happen. So I'm just going to let other people find out where that goes. I know Jason was really liking Grazalax, Ithlid Scholar as possibly being overlooked so far. 3-2 for one double blue. Legendary creature horror. Whenever a creature you control becomes blocked, you may return it to its owner's hand. And whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, draw a card. I think Jason's liking this more as a commander um, that has a couple of different angles that you can come at it. And it's also a card that can be included in the 99. From a financial perspective, I'm not super stoked on it at all. No, I would agree with that, but I will give Jason credit for pointing out that it um, it does put your opponents in an unenviable position where if they block the if they don't block the creature that you attack with, uh, you get a to draw a card plus any other on hit triggers that you had set up. And if they do block it, you're just going to return it to your hand and then replay it because it's a value creature. You know, you're going to attack with stuff like Eternal Witnesses and things of that nature, where you're happy to get a free trigger on it. So uh, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Uh, Volo Guide to Monsters looks like uh, a pretty obvious brick to me. Um, a commander people will build, and also just a great green-blue 99 card. Human Wizard, both relevant creature types. Uh, for a 3-2, whenever you cast a creature spell that doesn't share a creature type with a creature you control or a creature card in your graveyard, copy that spell. So you're not going to be playing it with changelings, but I suspect lots of people will appreciate the puzzle and will have fun building around it. Yeah, Volo's uh, pretty cool, and I, he's grown on me since uh, I first looked at him. As a commander, he's a Simic commander that does something more interesting than a lot of the other Simic commanders. It's not just draw cards and 
untapped lands. It's creating tokens and you can kind of play with those, but it encourages you to build in a way that's a little different than what you're used to possibly get people on some alternate card choices they wouldn't make all the time, which is, which is fun and interesting. That's what you want. And at the same time, any other Simic deck or even deck that has Simic colors in it means they're going to take a look at their creature base and go, well, can I, can I make use of this? Like, do I have, you know, maybe I have three elves and I can switch one of them for a non-elf and this starts to get a little bit more appealing. So probably both a not an awful commander and also a very solid inclusion in quite a few decks. So this, this again, like all these other cards, um, definitely interested at bulk pricing where I can buy a stack and uh, alternatively maybe some premium copies. Jason had also flagged Vorpal Sword as being interesting. It's a equipment for just one black that gives creatures plus two plus zero and death touch if you equip for two so three black total to get into that game and then for eight you can cause a creature who gets tagged by something wearing this thing to lose the game um which is fairly powerful ability pretty fun good looking art on this card i could see being interested in foil extended arts of this whenever they get to whatever their low is especially if this is going to be an under open set these are the kind of things that could sneak up on you over the course of 18, 24 months. Yeah, Vorpal Sword is is I agree. It's like one of the, it's kind of like Godsend, where you're like most players are gonna look at it and just be like, eh. Like the the 2-0 and death touch is unappealing and the lose the game trigger is just not just not really what I want to do. But there are gonna be plenty of people out there who are interested in it. Um and clearly there already are. It's the fifth highest played card in the set right now like non-commander cards so clearly there's a the demand is there foil borderless cards that might just get the godzilla effect where being really cool dnd characters might carry them uh includes tiamat which is also the top play top recorded commander on edh rec so far uh dragon's certainly uh, a popular tribe and then you've also got uh lolf spider queen foil borderless looks pretty cool and that's a medium good planeswalker that you can there's a bunch of different angles to as well uh and i suspect both of those uh the premium versions of both those cards are going to be worth money given enough time yeah i i i think your angle there has got to be selling them to dnd players um these were fine i don't know they didn't tickle my fancy at all as a non-dnd player i mean things like godzilla right there's no godzilla game godzilla fans were buying them on ebay so you're probably gonna do better with that kind of stuff on ebay and social media than you are on tcg player and card kingdom because those are just not places that those parts of the venn diagram are going to go looking to buy things but amazon ebay facebook twitter instagram etc will probably be pretty solid on loads for that stuff and uh, again if the set doesn't get opened a, a ton then they're you know there's there may end up being a lot less uh, collector booster boxes cracked by vendors than there were for say something like mh2 which will contribute to the premium cards taking off faster. I would agree that, you know, for something like Lolf and these other, you know, slightly more iconic D&D characters, um, that D the eBay and those alternative platforms are where you're going to sell them for the, the same reason that you cited. The Book of Exalted Deeds got banned in best of one standard on Arena, I believe, today. Yeah. Uh, this is the uh, artifact that if you gain three life a turn, you get a 3-3 angel. And then you have the uh, a second ability that lets you put a counter on an angel that basically gives you the platinum angel ability where you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game. Um, 
Life gain decks are a pretty narrow slice. You've got a Loro and a few others, and it's not a really huge part of the EDH scene overall. But something tells me this Mythic is going to have casual chops as well, and that it's just going to be one of these things like Godsend Jason mentioned um, that's going to be worth more money than you expect it to be a little ways down the road. Yeah, he he did make that comment. I uh, I, I don't know. I'm not saying that's wrong, I but it doesn't speak to me and it doesn't ring like a kitchen table deck, but it very well maybe. I think it's, you know, in normal EDH, I don't think this card is very interesting um, or all that good for that matter because it's not even at the beginning of each end step, it's your end step. So you can only, gain, you can only get the 3-3 three, three every turn one, rotation, one, not every turn. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, if this is going to do anything, it's going to be because of kitchen table decks. Modern cards of note from this set, Portable Hole, Ingenious Smith, Treasure Vault, Tasha's Hideous Laughter. Anything else you think that might make a splash? Um, I felt like I thought there was another card, but I don't remember off the top of my head. So, no. Uh, Priest of Ancient Lore is um, an interesting common, but I don't think that will matter too much. That's the the three mana two one white creature that dr- gains a life and draws a card when it enters the battlefield. Um, that's a good effect for Commander. A lot of decks I think might be interested in that, but uh, I don't see as a common. I, I just don't think you can do a lot with that. Probably worth flagging that there's a cool set of promos of Orb of Dragonkind floating around in Japan, so people should probably keep their eyes on eBay for some cheaper copies of that, or put it into a Japanese order if they've got that set up. Yeah, those are nifty. I don't, I, I'm not entirely clear who's going to buy those, but they're nifty at least. All right, uh, we managed to power through that pretty well. Where can people find you online, Travis? I am on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. How about yourself, James? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com and my constant haunting of our ProTrader Discord. also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com and save 5% off your order and support this podcast, which just brings us to the end of episode 280. Uh, always nice to be here back in the saddle uh, with you, and I will join you again next week. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.